I had the idea to write complimentary audio shows into the series of The Deadly Sins after listening to CBC's idea series that Lister Sinclair produced back in the early 90s. I'm fascinated with sin, not personally, but because each of the sins tend to be a kind of flip side of a virtue. Pride isn't always a sin. It can be a great virtue. Anger can rouse you to positive action. Even lust can be an effective complement to love in its right proportions. The first originally released show on the Sonic Society was Pride and Lo Thou I Walk. I wrote the word Lo as L-O-W because I kept playing with the whole idea of mortal sin and spiritual ascension and descension. This script is where I first came up against the term murder your darlings. I had a lovely long scene where John speaks to the devil. My mother explained how it all had to be cut. It wasn't that it was terrible. On the contrary, it was all great dialogue, but it entirely stalled the progress of the play. So out it went. It was the first and last time I cried over spilt dialogue. I wrote a song years before called Do You Know Who You're Burning? Part of me is fascinated with the puritanical certainty people can have and where the best of intentions can lead someone. And now, and lo though I walk, from the Shadowlands Theatre miniseries, The Deadly Sins. Shadowlands Theatre presents Seven Deadly Sins, Episode 1, Pride, and Lo Though I Walk. Written by Jack J. Ward. Produced and directed by Jack J. Ward and Andrew Dorfman. There is a land that's somewhere beyond the horizon. You may catch a glimpse of it when the sun sets, or in the moments before dawn. It's the twilight that flickers at the edge of imagination. Somewhere between reality and fantasy. It's the place where monsters roam, and portals to other worlds wait in the back of the closet and in the crevices of your mind. Welcome to the Shadowlands. Before the calling of Christ, the seven sins as much as the seven virtues were known in one form or another in most cultures and religions. And yet the first, the first sin that Lucifer committed was pride before God. Strange how the greatest of all sins is considered the most potent of strengths in the Shadowlands. Please wake up. It's time to waken. I'll let thee rest later. I promise. <laughs> it hurts. It is 
Mr. Manacles. Don't struggle or the barbs will bleed you more. Why? Please, why? No, why? No, I swear to Almighty God I do not. Please, who are ye? So, so dark. Here I am. Do ye remember me now? Good. I see that you do. What is thy name? <laughs> This is thy last chance to see heaven. Our Lord waits on his throne of gold. Will ye not go to him? Oh, I want to go. What is thy name? John. Goodman. And why are you here, John Goodman? Because I have sinned against God and nature. Yes, ye have practiced the dark arts and suckled the Satan's child now, a warlock. Uh, the book. Where is my book? John, the nails have cut into thy wrists again. I will wipe them. Pain helps you to focus, but you mustn't overdo it. We have thy soul to consider. The book! Where is the book? Protect me, O Lord, from yon witch's eye. Keep me safe from his blasphemy and his dark appetite for eternal damnation. Hold me to the bosom of our Lord's mother and safe within the flock as a lamb is to his shepherd. <laughs> Peace, John. Peace. You have struggled so. Very long now. Remember what happened. I, I, I remember Drayton. Before Drayton, do you remember thy mission for Christ? Yes, yes. I was on the road to Drayton Town. I was summoned. No, I said the church. The church was summoned. Yes. upon the damnable crevice. There was an accusing, and the church was busy with other accusations, and, and they sent me. Did you not want to go, John? No, I was happy. I wanted to rid our world of the sin that inhabits our land, the many concubines of the beast. So much evil. They said I was ready. I learned as much as I could, prepared all that I could, but nothing prepared me for what to come. <laughs> I was weak. I was weak. In Jesus' name, I was so very weak. Shh. I stand with thee now. Can you feel the stamp cough upon my head? I know it is hard to stand, but will take the weight off thy manacles. Lean a little against the wall. Uh, oh, There. That will help thee. Now tell me, John. Tell me all that occurred. I, I walked down the road full of hope. I was doing God's work. I know that even now. There was power and such clarity of being shining in his grace. Tell me, John. Ah! John, tell me. I won't let ye rest until you do. Water, please. My throat is raw. Soon, John. 
You weren't traveling alone. So thirsty then, too. I stopped by a river. Three weeks, no rain. It was part of the case. Townsfolk of Drayton had to prove her a witch, for she had fouled their crops. In bitterness, I stopped by the side of the road. The path was dust like chalk. I remember coughing all day as I walked upon it. I bent with my face directly in the lake, sucking up the water. I heard something from behind me, and turning nearly fell in. Good afternoon. Might I take a moment and rest beside ye? He had a pilgrim's way of sorts of friar, I guessed by his clothes, for he wore a cloth robe, a rope belt and sandals, symbol and fashion. He covered his face with a hood like the very image of mystery. He looked well fed, even overly so. His hands were rough with scars and boils upon them. His voice was quiet, it eased, and unnerved me all at once. His voice wavered upon an accent my ears could not properly place. I thought he'd come to be my companion to observe how I handled the witch's affair. The water is cool. Beg pardon? Is the lake thine own, or might I drink of it? Rest as thou wish, old friar. I did not hear thy wagon. Janus is a quiet steed. Ye need not be alarmed. The water is not as clear as I would have it. Ye are headed west. Aye, to the town of Drayton. I hath reason to travel west as well. If ye wish to share the road a while, ye might rest thy legs upon my wagon. Well, thank ye, kind friar. Have you been traveling long? Sometimes I feel, gentle sir, that I have been traveling since the beginning of time. The waters conceal thy reflection. I hope they do not make ye ill. I have drunk far more noxious brews in other lands and have the readier constitution, but I can tell that ye are not used to traveling, so take care. Do not develop the fever. Ye are on God's path. It might be said we all walk God's path. That produces a most interesting question. I had not intended it to be so. Everything is questions, gentle sir. Simple existence is a question unanswered, a quandary forever asked from mortals to God. Take Lucifer, for example. He is perhaps the greatest question of all. I care not to know the riddle of Satan. Strange that you use his last name, dear friend. For when he fell, he was Lucifer, but when he remained fallen, he was known as Satan. The Hebrew word, not for evil but adversary. And no, I do not suggest that his nature after the fall bears scrutiny. The good book tells us what Lucifer hath done, and God's punishment upon him for it. Much like today he was cast out, and yet he was once God's most chosen. Are ye all right, Friar? I am well. Never worry, dear friend. Lucifer was once the bringer of reason in God's court, highest of all. None stood upon the right hand of God more clearly than his most treasured angel and friend. Yet, 
He raised armies to do battle with God. The good book speaks of what happened, but it does not speak of why. Pride. Twas pride that was Satan. Uh, Lucifer's fall. The first of all sins. Aye, tis true. And twas right for God to cast him out. But for what reasons did Lucifer oppose his greatest benefactor, his father, his best friend? He was given the hosts of heaven as God's fine lieutenant. Why would the greatest of God's chosen tear asunder the heavens in civil war? And how could he gain followers to usurp the kingdom of heaven? Unless... Uh, unless? Unless... In his condemnation of God, he saw a better way, at least in his mind, to rule heaven and the earth. This was a time before God's loving hand shaped man. This was a time when the universe was new, and the world but a dream not yet given breath. And still, somewhere within the seven days of creation, Lucifer had seen God lacking in some way, raised an army fought and failed. Blasphemy. Ye speak blasphemy, friar. I will not hear of such things. God is perfect. God has made all things, and God alone has understanding of that which ye speak so glibly. Forgive me, dear traveler. I meant no blasphemy. Only to say that Lucifer perhaps believed God to be lacking. And not that he truly was. For after all, is written, God makes no mistakes. But still, I wonder to the meaning of this thing. What was it that Lucifer believed so necessary that he risked and lost all, forever cast outside his presence? Satan's fall mirrors that of man. He'd been all that we repel, and if we are worthy, all that we may avoid. Satan had the choice all men have. Indeed, I would think not. But he had the choice to follow God and live amongst his holy brethren in the everlasting light. Be sent to the darkness. Aye, but ye lay thy thumb upon the difference twixt man and Satan, for which of us in experiencing God's grace and living high with him upon the foot of his throne would risk being cast outside his presence. None, I dare say. For it is well known that in the light of God all sins are forgiven and all pains are brought to an end. But Lucifer, my friend, one might say, as Milton wrote, that he'd not known what he'd lost. Perhaps he felt the enterprise too great a thing and the possibility that he would fall from his grace unthinkable to a child born of light. Perhaps. But ye speak of things that have gone far past. Satan now lives in the world. His infernal company chokes the very air of God's mercy, and his hatred of our Lord knows no bounds. Had cast him out from heaven with all his host of rebel angels by whose aid aspiring to set himself in glory above his peers, he trusted to have equaled the Most High. If he opposed and with ambitious aim against the throne and monarchy of God, him 
The almighty power hurled headlong, flaming from the eternal sky with hideous ruin and combustion down to the bottomless perdition there to dwell in adamantine chains and penal fire. Who durst defy the omnipotent arms? But his doom reserved him to more wrath, for now the thought both of lost happiness and lasting pain torments him. Round he throws his baleful eyes that witnessed huge affliction and dismay, mixed with obdurate pride and steadfast hate. No light, but rather darkness visible, served only to discover sights of woe, regions of sorrow, doleful shades where peace and rest can never dwell. Hope never comes. Speak keenly the edge of Milton, and while it has been a source of inspiration through the clergy, I like it not. Get to the point of thy mission, John. Tis my thoughts that the friar confused ye earlier on. It was no fire that spoke with me, of that I am sure. I speak to ye now about him, for he, he laid the path of my misfortune and misery. Then let me wipe the blood from thy mouth, John. And pray, continue. How long did ye make tracks with the friar? He spoke all through the morning with me. His thoughts about Satan's tragic loss pricked at my brain, and his questions of God filled my head with pain. When at last he took the right fork and I the left to drain him down, he bade me farewell and goodly profits to my enterprise. This was strange indeed, for I had not told him the reason I made for drinking down, and yet. I could tell he scribed the reasons from me, nevertheless. The final dust curtain of this cart made its unsteady way along the trail. When something caught my eye, I took several steps before I saw the body of a serpent in the road. It slithered across, perhaps intending to fang a horse, but instead was decapitated by a cartwheel and left to bleed into the soil. Its coiled form twisted and boiled in soundless anger, and its severed head stared at me from the side, lipless jaws working to swallow again and again. I would have left the omen there, but for the stranger's sight I checked about. And what was that, John? From the open end of the serpent's gullet something moved. I thought at first perhaps the snake was about to burst forth. A series of other baby worms and held to the rock tightly to put an end to the monstrosity, but instead there was something different. It was... It was a frog. A frog? I... A little tree frog it had been swallowed whole and even now struggled to escape from the belly of its captor. I, I, I took pity upon it, and with my scarf cleaned it of its snake's entrails. It seemed quiet, stunned, so I placed him in my pocket, and he became the truest of road companions. He was quiet and slept off his excitement from before. When he awoke, he ate a little and hopped only in a circle about me. Though he lay down upon the grass to stretch his legs. But, but I did not tarry long, for I had been charged by the church to fulfill my service unto God. Twas just before sunset that I made the entrance to Drayton Town, and what a sight to behold. Torchlight abounded from the village square where the townsfolk had erected. A simple gallows of raised timber, 
nearly five feet in height, swore might witness the judgment of the town. No noose from the wooden post, but marks upon the long arm displayed that many a knot had been tied in the name of justice. The townsfolk gathered in a mob at sunset, and they shouted epithets and insults upon the woman bound to the hanging post. She was fair of skin and young in appearance, although Tos said she was close to her thirtieth year with no husband. Yes. Often such women unwilling to unify in holy wedlock take the sheets of Satan's lustful She did not look afraid when they taunted her with fire and calls for her death. She bore a pride, stubbornness, and I stepped before them in my common clothes and white-rimmed hat. So taken were they with the accusation, the no idea a stranger stood in the midst. Hold! I said. I am John Goodman from Philadelphia. And I have been sent by the Holy Church to measure the accused. I hear for myself the reasons the woman Sarah Black is accused of delving in the black arts. She cast a drought upon our land. Our crops are dust and cry for water. She reduced my Nancy to a cat. One day she was playing in the forest by her home, and the next she was gone with only this cat in his place. Tis witchcraft most foul. Return my Nancy. Return my Nancy to me! Hold! Hold! We live in reason times, and with reason we will investigate these charges. I will hear all evidence and weigh it with the word of God, for it is with his will that we fight the evil that would infect us. Now, one at a time. Let us hear the full extent of the accusation upon this woman. She reads her spells from the quiet of the bookstore. She sullies her father's good name by taking Satan as her She beguiled me, and I have neglected my husbandly duties. Unable to perform as God intended man and wife to be. And me as well. She brought sorrow upon our household, and I've been unable to be with child for nigh on two years. Beyond the dying of the sun and into the night. Though there was no more than a dozen accusers who'd known Sarah Black intimately, it was becoming clear. The weight of evidence was making hard again her soul. Slowly a picture of Sarah Black's life emerged. She's a woman who lost her father to fever some five years past and disdained all suitors remaining wed to her grief. She began selling her father's collection of books. Well known as a God-fearing man, his gentleness with his only daughter spoiled her. She withdrew from Drayton and spurned those who proclaimed their intentions for marriage. Sarah Black lived in terrible loneliness within the bookshop. It was there I had guessed that Satan's teachings transformed her. Her neighbors had always considered her willful, but now, now she was there without a book in hand. And twas for her soul in the infinite understanding of Jesus that I approached her. Her body had been given to Beelzebub, but her soul, well, I hoped the rescue from damnation was at hand. During the hours of accusation, I committed each charge to memory for recounting to the church later. I motioned to the crowd to stand back. Reluctantly, they obeyed, and I rose to the platform. The woman's hands were bound so tightly, the blood trickled from the surface of the muscles in her arms, balls bone white in effort. Although she appeared meek and mild, I no doubt the townsfolk bound her in such a forceful manner to ensure she'd not injure herself or her 
Athos in her blasphemes. Twas at this moment I bade her to answer the charges levied, to balance the scales, to tilt her towards everlasting life rather than eternal damnation. But of all the strange things I'd injured to this point, her words would fasten me upon the post beside her and send me to this damnable rack. John, John, help me understand the trials ye endured. Do not risk damnation by falling silent now that the wine has been poured and the meat is on the table. God has heard and accepted thy prayers. I've forgiven thy sins, and if thou but finish the tale, absolution awaits. I will pray with thee a while, while our Lord and Saviour collects thy soul to stand at his side and live in the immortal garden. Garden, yes. She smelt of flowers, gardenia, and lupins, the scent of lupins, when they flower so brilliantly purple and lavender, like the very essence of spring. Most of the town smelled of rot or it scattered about the streets, steaming from horses and dogs in the air, ripe with curing fowl butchered sheep. I swear in all honesty before God I stood upon the gallowed desk and smelled within her the scent of Eden. I knew twas her potions and elixirs meant for devilry and beguilement, but for a moment, a passing moment, I'd been weakened too. I felt the power of her presence, but still, still I had the word duty upon my lips and faced her with the strength of my office upon my shoulders and did demand that she give full account for the accusations against her. And what did she say? This Bathsheba, this whore of Babylon. It was the strangest part of this whole venture. She neither denied nor confirmed the charges. Indeed, she spoke of them not at all. Her eyes were set upon a distant point, and I could see she resigned herself to fire and death. Her face was like faded petals. She seemed not to notice me for the longest time, but I knew my purpose and charged her again, this time by God, to tell me what the answer was to these charges. She beckoned me to lean forward. I did so, though reluctantly, for while she was most handily bound to post her eyes carried depths which frightened me. I leaned closer and she whispered her answer. What? What did she say? Teach me to hear mermaids singing, or to keep off envy stinging, and find what mind serves to advance an honest mind. If thou beest born to strange sights, things invisible to see, ride ten thousand days and nights, till age snow-white hairs on thee, thou when thou returnst wilt tell me all strange wonders that befell thee. And swear, nowhere, lives a woman true and You are certain she spoke those words in exactly such a phrase? By my troth! For once I have heard things I cannot unhear their exact phrasing. Always I have been so gifted since childhood. 
Then she spoke spells, words of mermaids and invisible fairies and the like, and with such words she made a confession of kinds. Nowhere lives a woman true and fair. She damned herself with the very spells she tried to quell thee with. It was done. I recognized it as such. And verily so, ye saw her end, and damnable it was. What could ye do but put an end to the blasphemy and pray for her soul? <laughs> it's all Lucifer's fault! His sin was the first one, and it drew the line through the aces from the one great fall to the plagues of Egypt, the walls of Troy, the burning city of Rome about Nero. Great or small, we all succumb to that great fall. Pride. I, <laughs> and we still fall into darkness. All of us father, each in our own personal hell. So she was burned then, John. He burned her. I... But not before she cursed me. Yes. By God, you speak more to the meat of the story. Pray, take your time. Oh, did she curse thee? She whispered in my ear. But venom, oft times I have heard. No! It was like rolling honey down my cheek, sweet as summer's butter. There was no bile upon her words, no bitterness within them. It was like a gift she bestowed upon me, a horrid, torturous gift. What? What did you say? <laughs> no, not yet. I cannot tell ye. Very well. We will return to that. Take ease, my son, and tell me all that ye are able. After, after she whispered to me, I was silent, and she would say no more. I had not wished her death. Sweet Grace, please believe me. John! John! Tell what happened next. The villagers, the villagers, they, they swarmed her. It was as if they had the proof. It did not matter that I had not pronounced a judgment. The faggot was struck, and the blaze burned all eyes that looked upon it. She was brave, and only when the apex of the pyre was lit did she cry out. But three times did unholy pain and regret. Praise God. Yes. Praise God. I was shaken to the very soul. All night I spent in quiet in the stable, hearing only the rustle of the sheep. I slept not a thistle. Instead, the sound of my heart pounding in immortal fear, thundering in my ears. But as loud as it would roar, it could not drown her final whisper. The next morning... Resolved to leave Triton, find the road back home, and ne'er visit this land again. The town was deserted when I left, with the menace dispatched. The men made for work in the pastures, fields, and 
forests, no longer concerned with Sarah, and left her ash-dusted corpse on display, a warning against the evils wrought upon us. I went to her with full desire to bury her, but... Yes, yes. What was done? He should not feel such upset. It was thy first charge, John. I keep reminding thee, but tis true. We travel a terrible road, but it is the cross we must bear to reach his will. Oh, but the road, the terrible road was yet to come, Father. Mayhaps twas the wind, but I swear I did not touch her person. But clean as she was, not, not a streak of her lovely hair remained. I stepped upon the ashes that ringed the ground in all directions and felt the wind die in reverent protest of the will that cleansed the ground. I would have left there with naught but the knowledge that my charge was completed, but I was entrusted with her remains. remains. All that remained of her life I had found locked within her home. The townsfolk then molested the stores of books within, but one remained untouched, for fear be the greatest strength in a mob. A book? A, a succubus manuscript? A... Tome of infernal smells. And it was entrusted to me to return to Mother Church to depose of its sorcery. Those of Drayton wanted nothing to do with an monstrous grimoire. So emphatic their concerns that I dare not carry the book myself for fear of contamination. So feared were ye. Not, not at first. I was only considerate of precautions. My thoughts were to return home and to give my full accounting of what befell Sarah Black. So I wrapped the book several times with burlap and leather strips made of old reins from the stable and dragged the book eight paces behind me, my traveling companion. The term. Yes, the frog had awakened amidst all the excitement and fed from my hand. He had the most soulful eyes. And... John, keep to the story. I am not interested in your pets. Yes, yes. We walked back from Drayton. The sky was an unnatural mottled mist that thwarted all attempts at sunlight. The sun itself appeared restrained against the southern sky. I began by and by with each passing step to feel a sense of forbidding dread. Tore against my stomach, each footfall thudded in my mind. Each yard further from Drayton increased the weight of my burden. Shadows coalesced in the trees above me. I heard the foulest whispers from the brooks I traversed. I grew aware of a presence. A presence? Yes, a malevolence. I could not describe it more than that. It pricked my neck from behind and slipped in the corner of my sight. And when I turned about, never to show itself directly to me, I began pausing in my gait, ostensibly to purge myself of this feeling. I began to feel alone in my quest. To return to the holy church, I slept not and couldn't even light a fire. The wood would not grow hot. I shivered through the cold darkness, hearing the whispers come closer and closer until I shrieked. And silence. Not a murmur. The woods were quiet as a tomb. I lay against a tree and swear my eyelids never crossed all the night. On the second day, I'd almost forgotten the night before. I was tired, but my bed would be a comfortable refuge from the hard ground. It was but another day hence. But 
I had little joy in my sleep. I found myself wandering through a pasture surrounded by masterless cattle that grazed without stirring, and then their heads all rose as, as one from the grass, and their eyes bore the same red speck. I felt the wind sicken and die around me. A great unreasoning fear gripped my chest. Fire like that which delivered the witch mirrored in their collective gaze, and I began to cough with the smoke. The beasts, they closed around me, and the whispers began again. My lungs filled with the smell of burning pitch. Everywhere I turned, they faced me, tightening the circle like a noose about my neck. I wanted to drop the book, to run off, but I held tight to the map. A mark burned across my palm and shoulder, where I held it, and I ran, ran through the fields, but the cattle followed, lumbering. They galloped as if driven off the edge of the world. The faster I ran, the more they pursued me. Finally, I tumbled down a ravine. When I woke was evening, I found the cash on my head. The moon was huge and bright as the sun, and the wind had returned. My head ached where I hit the rocks below, and my shoulder hurt a little. But the cattle had disappeared like a strange nightmare. I nearly laughed out loud in relief despite my circumstances. But instead, I was struck dumb by the sight ahead. Within this lunar light, before me on a jagged rock, the book had been torn from its bundle and lay open. Naked, its pages bare before me, and, and the pages were whispering, calling out to me to read the insidious leaves. The hoary moonlight glowed. I tried to look away, but I couldn't. I just couldn't. The words, the song, it was like mermaids singing to the sailors calling them to the rocks, crept closer, reached out. No, John. In God's name, no. No, no. In God's name, I didn't. I cannot say by what power of grace or infamy propelled me. I cannot speak by what means, but somehow I stopped my ears to the whispers. I bit my tongue until my eyes poured tears and the image was gone. Gone. For my companion, my blessed frog. He was still all right, but seemed as dazed as I lay upon my chest lazily. It was misty again, and near sunset by the sky, so I had been sleeping through the day. My shoulder was stiff, and I felt dizzy. My frog fell asleep soon enough, and I was anxious to make my way. I replaced him in my pocket and slowly got to my feet. I bent low to sit myself in the water, cupping my hands to wash them, when I saw her reflection. Not the witch. No. Yes. I cannot tell, for truth be told, I do not know if she truly was there at all. 
I looked past the waters, and there, watching me from the other shore, was, was a child, a waif, no more than eight or nine, no more than eight or nine years, a vision of that I was certain. That the demon set to torment me. She had the eyes of Sarah Black. Soulful eyes, big and twinkling like the wings of a butterfly. It any longer. First the cattle and the horrible whispers. Now this. I screamed to her to go away. I threw rocks to banish the apparition, but nothing would move the child thing from its spot. I cursed it in the name of God to stop tormenting me. I swore at all the denizens of hell using every name I have ever heard a saint produce. But it would not move. I knew there was no solace for me. I had to remove this blasphemy from my sight, or I would never be free. As if in answer, the whispers began again. They swallowed my mind like leeches, hungry for the blood of my sanity. I shouted and threw myself into the stream. Water foaming about me. Running like bile. When the madness passed, I was stretched in the river, baptized in this holy rite. Under my fingers, I felt something limp and lifeless. I raised to the water and saw the pearl white face, the tiny body drowned at my hand. The eyes closed, and I was safe from the burning stair. I released the body, and it floated like a severed lily pad down the river and away. Free. I was finally free. The demon had tried to take me, and even in the form of a little girl, it had no power over me. No damnation could it declare, for we damn ourselves without divine intervention. There was but only one thing left. What? What was left to do, John? Why, read her book, of course. Oh, John, she didn't. I walked to the other side, my clothes as heavy as my heart had been. A deathly calm upon me. I feared no evil, for in my pocket, my frog moved no longer. Dead like the girl. Drowned. <laughs> Drowned like my innocence. John! John! Come closer, father. I have a story to tell in my time. Close late. John. No. You wish to hear the poison, she whispered. To me, upon the post, and with this lash of chain round thy throat, I have thy attention. Enough. She said her words in sadness, father, and with no shame. But instead regret, she said, read of me, and know what pregnant thoughts are lost in love. A curious 
turn of phrase for a witch to have such love as it not. I had thought it deviltry, but I learned better once I read her journal. Twas the church that closed her bookstore down, even the church that drove her father to his death, and the church that had taken up the struggle to protect her, though the town didn't know of it. Is that not true, Father? John, release, release me at once, please. Ye were the agent of the church, one who promised to protect her. She even gave her thine own tomes of poetry. Teach me to hear mermaids singing, Father. She knew she quoted John Donne. I have oft heard you say, but he is your favorite poet. He cannot hear you and any moment the dice. Sarah's book life safe within their hands. Oh, I certain he will answer their questions, even their questions about indiscretions. Speak of the unborn child still within Sarah. Of course, it must have been her coitus with the devil. Sure. Why, the death of a woman whose sin was trust and love of me. So satisfaction must be had. Dear father, I am possessed by the devouring injustice of it. Take heart, thy soul will be released. But your eminence, does the Holy Father's wish not to be disturbed during his interrogations? And how long since he's been seen from these pits? Nearly all day, your eminence. He's acquired prisoners longer in the past. Give me thy torch. By this night he will be placed in chains. Who was detained in this foul cellar? An apostolate. John Goodman, I believe. Oh. Holy Father! It matters not, curate. They're both dead, Goodman, by the bloodletting, and thy master by the chain about his neck. Holy Father, what befell thee, noble man? Perhaps tis best this way. He's bound by far greater laws than I now. He'll be buried outside of Churchland. Outside, but your eminence... Outside! Ye heard me well enough. John Goodman, 
Does he have family? No. No, your eminence. He, he was alone. All his life. Perhaps he'll find peace. At last. Pride is an excessive belief in oneself. It interferes with the recognition of God's grace. Pride has been called the sin from which all other sins arise. We pride ourselves in knowing the difference between good and evil. But in our smug certainties, divine justice prevails in the Shadowlands. Seven Deadly Sins, Episode 1, Pride, and Lo Thou I Walk, was created and written by Jack J. Ward. The Inquisitor was played by Pasha Ebrahimi. John Goodman was performed by Jack J. Ward. Manfred Onward was the friar and his eminence the bishop. The curate was Jeff Brown. Sarah Black was performed by Pamela Herman. And the mob was Nico Lorenzuti, David Connellan, Alicia Polanski, Alana Zatzman, Rita Armbruster, Patrick Dorfman, Jennifer Robbins, Joe Mauricio, and Jocelyn White. Shadowlands theme music was created by Christopher Moreno. Incidental music themes and scores by Sharon B. Fowler. Editing by Paul Patterson and Jack J. Ward. Sound effects and digital landscape by Andrew Dorfman. Shadowlands is directed and produced by Jack J. Ward and Andrew Dorfman and recorded in the sound studios of CKDU 97.5 FM in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Shadowlands Theatre is a work of fiction. All dramatic material within is for entertainment purposes only. Any references to real events, businesses, or locales are intended only to give the fiction a sense of reality and authenticity and not to describe any actual conduct. Any character's resemblance to an actual person, either living or dead, is entirely coincidental. For more information on the Shadowlands, go to our website at www.shadowlandstheatre.com. The original six Sin scripts were bound and published as Shadowlands Theatre The Deadly Sin scripts. I was surprised at how many people around the world bought them. I got a lot of calls from teachers who really enjoyed teaching and low though I walk in their English classes. John Goodman reminds me a lot of Everyman, kind of blundering through life from one misadventure to another. I'm like John a lot. I seem to be completely taken aback when someone says something cruel or shocking to me. I don't know what to say. I was brought up not to be nasty to people, but I'm more confused by the cruelty of people than angered. Writing helps to clarify the nature of humanity, and the Deadly Sin scripts will continue next week as we look at lust with a little comedic tale called Spin, spin, spin. In the meantime, check out the Sonic Society podcast with the very best in modern audio theater. Until next time, I'm Jack Ward for Electric Vicuna Productions. Keep listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. <laughs>